This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. say this, that UX is about more than the work. And we're going to pick up where we left off last week, but I just wanted to start off by reminding folks and those who might be listening for the first time to help everyone understand something about why we would spend time talking about this. Why are we not talking about wireframing? Why are we not talking about research best practices? Why are we not talking about uh, topic A, topic B, topic C, or topic D? I want to learn how to do the work. Well, I always say this, so I say it again, there is no shortage of places where you can learn more about the work, whether it's a video, whether it is a book, whether it's going to a conference. There are, however, (laughs) very limited resources available to address things that are going on in UX, under the radar things, many of them, that are actually creating problems. If, if you want to thrive in UX, if you love UX, that's fantastic. I'm, I'm glad for that. I'm glad for you. Are you transitioning into UX? That's fantastic. I'm glad for you. I wish you all the best. But if you all you do is the work and you don't pay attention to the types of things that I share on this podcast, they are going to come back and they are going to, to bite you in your, in your virtual rear because these things are happening. These things are creating issues. These things are, are creating stumbling blocks for people. And I, for one, I know many people like me who are willing to talk about these unpopular types of things and to bring them to light so that you can thrive, so that you can truly survive. I've been sharing the story a lot lately, how that I almost walked away from UX in about 2007, 2008. And I had a conversation with someone one day and that conversation will always be very near and dear to my heart because the person made a statement. I did not realize that it was about emotional intelligence. I know it now. I know it in hindsight, but the person made a statement to me about emotional intelligence that helped to change the trajectory of my career. It helped me to maintain my, my, my direction in UX. I'm still in UX. Of course, today I'm doing the podcast. Yeah, I'm still a practicing UXer. It helped me to, to stay the course and it helped me to commit to excellence. It helped me to go forward. Most importantly, it helped me to not be distracted, to not be discouraged and to not give up hope when encountering 
certain things, <laughs> the, the types of things that I tend to talk about a lot of times. I talk about doing the work as well. Right now, we're just covering this. But emotional intelligence is a make or break factor associated with UX. I know people who have walked away from the discipline. I know people who, who are discouraged about the discipline. I know people who will take time out. They just don't want to, they don't want to engage on social media. That's one of the reasons we're talking about this because it's a very hostile and toxic area. So back to the, the conversation, because somebody might not be aware of what happened. Some of you already know the person told me because I, I was doing the research. I was bending over backwards to do my absolute best. I was, con, I, I was, I was dedicated to being excellent in my craft and winning for my users, winning for the business, being aware of constraints, driving optimal user experience. I, I just wanted to do all that. And, and practically well, the vast majority, we won't get into this today, but the vast majority of people in UX today, that's exactly what they want. But people didn't care. They, they didn't care how much work you were putting into it. They didn't care about all the data that you had to support your recommendations and, and when people are basically spitting at your work and things of that nature, it can take a lot out of you and it can have you scratching your head. It can have you wondering, what is this? Why is this happening? Why am I over here? And, and those are the types of things that trigger people and make them want to walk away from the discipline. That person told me, they said that there is such thing as healthy conflict. And the light bulb came on. For me, if you don't take someone not accepting your recommendations personally, don't see it as a stumbling block. Welcome someone's, uh, their, their ability to challenge what you're doing. Welcome their ability to ask you to, to show them why you want to go in a particular direction. Welcome their ability to just say no. Uh, I, I hear your recommendations. I see you have data. You know what? We're going to do what I want to do anyway. It hurts when you hear it, but when you realize that, okay, I, I, I was an expert voice for what we're working on. I advocated for my users. I looked out for the business. I was aware of the constraints. I did all of these things. They still said, no, you know what? I did my job. It takes emotional intelligence, folks, to reach a frame of mind where you can rest in something like that. It really takes a lot. And then you just move on to the next project. And, and they're going to come back. When you take the time, if you check out my episode on what I call the art of constructive losing, when you take the time to be excellent, people will double back. And, and they'll, they'll remember what you did. They'll remember what you said. They'll remember the data that you presented. And now that's when you earn people's trust and that's when you can start making headway without all the pushback that we get a lot of times. So now, when it comes to the concept of healthy friction, you'll take it. It won't throw you for a loop. And folks, emotional intelligence. That's why we're taking the time to talk about it today. Now, to pick up where we left off last week, healthy friction, just sort of using that as a, as a jumping off point, it, it's something that's a norm. But when it comes to social media, it, it's a bit different. There, there is some healthy friction in social media. We should have the ability 
to disagree agreeably, to learn from one another when somebody doesn't understand something or when somebody doesn't, they don't agree. It, it takes emotional intelligence to engage at that point of disagreement in a way where everybody can still be professional, everybody can still be respectful, and, and you can dialogue and, and you can come away from a lot of those situations actually better for the friction that came about. But folks, there's not a lot of emotional intelligence going on in practically any social media uh, community today, professional social media community at large. And it, it certainly isn't happening in the UX world. So we talked about, just to pick up where we left off last week, we talked about those five aspects of social media as presented by Adele Lynn's model, self-awareness and self-control, empathy, social expertness, personal influence, and mastery of purpose and vision at work. And, and we started off, we, we went through last week self-awareness and self-control, and we provided a few examples. We talked about a few ways where you can see it at work, where, where we can see why it's important to, to engage at the self-awareness level and self-control level. And I actually didn't even finish covering that today. So we're going to pick up exactly where we left off. I know it was a weird breaking point, but I just felt the need to stop last week. And we talked about the last part was how that embracing social expertness gives us the ability and the courage to be genuine, to engage in building mutual, mutually beneficial relationships, everybody. And it helps us again to partake of healthy conflict. So social expertness, without it, if somebody doesn't agree and EQ is not present and, and on anybody's part, let, let's say there are two people going back and forth on, on social media. Someone posted something. This happens to me quite a bit. I get trolled a lot, as you probably guess. Uh, and, and even just recent, just to give you an example, I, I posted something. Someone made a statement. They loved what I posted, but they said, you know, Darren, I don't often agree with you, but this one, I really agree with you wholeheartedly. I paraphrase. Why, if you didn't agree, why would you take the time to say that? It, it, it's folks, and we didn't talk about this. I didn't specifically call out this one behavior that is another EQ red flag. Passive aggressivism is a sign that EQ, <laughs> there's an EQ deficient um, a mode that someone is operating in. If you appreciate the particular post, if someone posts something and you, and you like it, just click like. If you have something to say, say it. But we're always supposed to add value. That's what, when, when we, we're embracing EQ, and we're engaging with other UXers on social media, we must add value. If there's something you don't agree with, you disagree agreeably. I do not agree. What about, and then you do what, what, we, what I call entreaty. I don't agree with that. I see it from this perspective. Can you break it down for me? And you, you let somebody know from a transparent perspective how you feel about it, what it is that, what data you have, and you present it, and, and, and you give a person an opportunity to explain themselves because it very may, 
may well be possible that when you don't agree with somebody that you haven't actually earned the right to disagree yet. And when I say that, I mean that there is disagreeing and there is disavowing. If you disagree with someone legitimately, disagree with someone, that means that you understand what they're saying, number one. And number two, it means that you have data that validates why you're disagreeing. And if you really care about the person that you're talking to, if you you want them to be their best, wouldn't you want to then share that, that information? I would think that the answer is yes. But you don't just come in and say, I disagree, drop the microphone, so to speak, and walk off. It just doesn't work that way. It's, it's, it's childish. It's a passive-aggressive move in many cases to say something like that. Uh, and the person even came back later, and I explained the same thing that I just said. Well, I said, there's disagreement, there's disavowal. And a lot of people that I talk to who, there are people who I talk to that didn't used to agree with me, heard me explain it, and then they got it. Then there's people who disagree, never understood a single solitary thing. Really, that's not disagreement because you don't even know what I said. There's even people who hear what I say, twist it so that they have me saying what they said I said, but I really didn't say what they're disagreeing with. They're actually disagreeing with a figment of what I said. That's an EQ red flag as well because we don't want to rest anyone's words. If you're going to disagree, then disagree. Uh, I don't like that car because X, Y, and Z. And you have every right to not like that car, especially when we're talking about cars. That's not a principle. That's a personal choice. But a lot of people talk about things that are principle-oriented that they like and don't like something, and they have no data whatsoever. And, and it's really interesting and how people will they'll make a statement and they really they're starting to fight. They're starting to argue. Arguing, there's nothing constructive about arguing. If you this person A disagrees with person B, engage in debate. <laughs> That's what healthy conflict is. Put your facts on the table. Person B puts their facts on the table. And then if we're going to be adults about this, we're going to take a look at all of the facts that are out there. And we want to arrive at the best possible conclusion. That's what EQ dictates for us. And when we embrace social expertness, that's the way that things play out. So that's where we left off last week. And in a sense, I backed up a tad uh, because I want to start the next bullet over that I'm covering here. But just give you a little bit more about social expertness. Now, again, just to break down social expertness a little bit more, it's an area that really contains, I just gave you a few EQ red flags, but here are a few more that, that come to mind with regard to social expertness when there's uh, when it's not being applied, when it's not being embraced, uh, basically slander, when people start making goofy comments about other folks, libel, when people are writing things. I told a little bit of a story last week about somebody. As a matter of fact, that's exactly where we ended last week, where someone, they didn't like what somebody said, so they started publishing. They First they said that someone didn't read something that, that another person said, all social media stuff now, UX folks on social media. Uh, and, and actually the people that they were talking about did read everything, number one. So that was an inaccurate statement. And slander, folks, is about 
misrepresenting who someone is, what they stand for, what they said. Uh, if, if slander is a part of the dialogue, then there's an EQ red flag. And because of that EQ red flag, because of slander, and because people are believing that, you're not going to make any progress. So you're not going to achieve a point where you can engage in healthy conflict because somebody is believing something that is not accurate. It got worse because the person was so intent on embracing that people call those alternate truths today or alternative truths. Uh, It's either true or it's not. Um, The person started sharing on posting on social media, telling other people that people, I was one of the people who was named in this, uh, saying that we were a pack of, quote unquote, a pack of wild dogs. And nobody's demonstrated any, I know I did not, uh, to my knowledge, nobody else that they were talking about had. But when people take it a point to do that, it does a lot of damage. When you have people that are trying to mentor people, trying to help groom people and help grow people on social media. And then you have so many people who, as soon as someone makes a slanderous or a libelous statement, there are some people who are, will never examine that, that report to see whether or not it's true. Now, potential relationships are destroyed. Potential mentoring is destroyed. I'm going a little bit deeper than I did last week. These types of things are hurting today, right now, are hurting the UX community at large. And until people make it a point that they're going to be adults, that they're going to embrace EQ, we'll just continue going in that in that direction. It, it, it's really sad. But at any rate, that slander and libel, that was one of the EQ red flags. That character assassination is associated with it. There is a ton of character assassination going on in the world of UX today. And especially when people will engage in character assassination for the express purpose of advancing one's self. This is not a good thing. And somebody's thinking, why would you even spend time talking about this? Because we're putting it on your radar. If you operate at any length of time in UX, whether you're new, you've been around, if you're new, you're going to come into contact with this. You're either going to have somebody try to recruit you to become a part of it, or you're going to get caught in the in the crossfires or the crosshairs. You know, two things. Crossfire means you're in the middle. Crosshairs means you're going to become the target. At some point in time, everybody is coming in contact with this. I know a lot of people who don't think they are, and I know for a fact that they are. And when you try to play middle ground and try to stay out of it, you're basically indirectly supporting the activity. So we have to take a stand. I mean, we're adults. We're supposed to be taking a stand against things like this, but it's really, really sad. And uh, next one, please know and understand, you cannot embrace EQ. You cannot excel or be involved in social expertness at all if you are operating under any of the isms, what we call the isms. What are the isms today? Well, I'm going to give you five. There's actually more than these. These are just the five that stand out the most. Racism, if you are judging or interacting with people in a certain way because of their race, you don't act that way with other people, but you act that way with this person, EQ red flag. Sexism, and this is one I was going to spend a little bit more time with. We're probably going to end up extending this to an extra week because of the time I have to spend here. But sexism is not exactly what everybody thinks it is. 
Males who discriminate against females. Females who discriminate against males. Anybody discriminating against another person because of their sexual orientation. Aren't we all here to do the work? And, and I've got news for you. As mentioned, sexism is not what a lot of people think it is. It's There are things that are happening from a sexist perspective that, that people don't realize is sexism. I mean, stereotypically, males discriminated against females. But nobody faces the fact or even considers the fact that there is a lot of females discriminating against males in UX, folks. It's actually off the charts today. Everybody's not doing it. No, there's never, there's never, never this situation where somebody is operating in some kind of an ism and, and you just don't know it. No, that that's a cynical perspective. But of course, I'm a person of color. I am part African American and I'm part Native American. I'm part Sioux, I'm part Cherokee, and I'm part African American. So that that's my personal makeup. But when you look at me, you will think that I am simply of African American descent. And I have been treated a particular way in the UX circles many times simply because I am of African American descent. Has nothing to do with the work that I've done, has nothing to do with with anything that the things you're supposed to be judging people by, we're evaluating people by, it is it's just because of race. But I have also been discriminated against, subjected to maltreatment, things of that nature, simply because of my gender. I have been I have been discriminated against by women because I am a man. I have been discriminated against by people who are who are homosexual because I am heterosexual. Uh, and nobody thinks about either of those two types of discrimination. But folks, these things are real. Nobody should be discriminating against anybody because of anything that has to do with gender. And in this non-binary age, let me just put it to you like that. I'm going to simplify the whole thing. Are you a UXer? Are you doing the work? Do you care about the work that you're doing? I'm going to challenge folks. Embrace that today. How about we just do that? <laughs> if, you're, if you're here to do the work, let's just do the work. That's all I care about. Let's get the work done. Let's get wins for our users, win for the business, and let's go forward. That's it. Let's help grow new UXers. Let's help manage UX maturity levels. This is about the UX. It has nothing to do, all this personal stuff that people bring into it, every time it happens, all it does, and yeah, it's not just UX, but we're here to talk about UX. It creates problems for the discipline, and we can't afford it. Next, ageism. Again, another one. Under the radar, when you hear ageism, stereotypically, people think about older people discriminating against younger people. <laughs> Folks, we basically have practically the equivalent of three generations that are that are in every business environment. And the younger people is not just older people shouldn't discriminate against younger people. But now we got younger people and middle-aged people discriminating against older people, younger people discriminating against middle-aged people, it's like a, a, a class war. It, it almost reminds me of the the uh, uh, diff, different groups that are uh, fighting against, like, like classes, middle class, fighting against upper class, things like that. 
And, and I think it has to do with human nature in general. But we're talking about UX, right? Can we keep age out of this? Let's get the work done. Remember, UX is a discipline that is roughly about 20 to 25 years old, right in there, that range. We are the baby in every conference room we go to, every meeting we go to. We are the baby discipline in the room. There are too many people who do not understand who we are. And when these types of things, when we don't embrace EQ, we put ourselves at a gross disadvantage and uh, with regard to people understanding us, people valuing us, they will shut down your UX team in a heartbeat and think nothing of it, all while we're going back and forth dealing with these kinds of things instead of focusing on the work. So that's the challenge, and that's the reason that we're doing this today. Two more on isms, and then we're going to, we'll, we'll end there, and then we'll pick up next week. Generationism, <laughs> akin to ageism where people fight against each other because of the, the, the generation that you're in. You know, the Gen Y fighting against Gen Z and Gen, Gen X are fighting against the, the, and millennials fighting against the baby boomers and all this stuff. Throw it out. If someone is of a generation, they're of a generation. That's just a fact. But how about we learn how to understand one another? How about we learn how to work together? There are different frames of mind. That is true. There are different frames of mind associated with every generation. Learn them, understand them, and when it comes to to being diverse, when it comes to being innovative, we need this broad perspective that that spans multiple generations in order to account for serving those generations. Because guess who our users are? People across these generations for the most part, depending upon what you're designing for. So, Having all of these types of people at the table helps make us tick. So it doesn't really help if someone wants to fight against another generation. It's just, it's just silly. And the last one, another one that I've seen create a lot of problems in UX over the course of my career is that of cronyism, where people are only supportive of and they're on, they only embrace and they're only comfortable with the people that they know. If they don't know you, they don't want anything to do with you. And, and, and most critically, where this is affecting UX today, it's affecting UX when it comes to hiring. If people want to hire the folks they know. I know that there's some, some benefits to that, and I know that there's some mindsets that are supportive of it to a degree. But when you limit your hiring to that, because people are going to do that when you don't consider someone because they're not part of your little circle. These types of things create issues for the discipline at large. These types of things create stumbling blocks and, and throw monkey wrenches in our operation. I have seen companies where people, they will only hire folks that they know. A manager leaves a company and he goes to another company so he tries to bring in people that he knew from not necessarily the last company, but another company that they know. And, and, and this is really destructive. It limits the organization. Talk about diversity and talk about the ability to innovate. It really monkey wrenches all of those types of things. So these isms, racism, sexism, ageism, generationism, 
generationism, sorry, and cronyism are all enemies of the discipline-wide maturity level associated with UX. Yes, maturity levels are not just applicable to organizations. They're applicable to the discipline at large, and we are suffering today, badly imploding to a great extent, and it's all self-inflicted because if you're part of this crew today, if you are a UXer, you and I, everybody, we all have a responsibility to help govern the discipline that we're in and help to usher it to a better place by the way that we operate, by the way that we help people perceive who we are, the way that we represent the discipline. These are the things that help us and make us to tick the right way. So I've explained all these different isms. I even left one out, favoritism. <laughs> That's another one. It simply does not help. And we're going to have our favorites. That, that We're not trying to prescribe taking that away from anybody. But if your favoritism if, if doing something, hiring a person because they're your favorite, doing something because that person is your favorite, while there are instances where that is indeed the thing to do and there's nothing wrong with it, if that, that tendency to embrace that favorite, that really is akin to bias. And so bias contradicts emotional intelligence. If you only engage with people, things because of your favorite, when those things override logic, when they override deductions from critical thinking, folks, that is an EQ red flag. So just throwing favoritism in there. But anyway, we've explained all these different isms. What does that have to do with social media? Well, social media is about being, <laughs> what a novel idea, social. So when we're social, social expertness is critical and so we're engaging in social media we cannot allow race to become a factor we cannot not if we're going to be fruitful not if we're going to be beneficial not if we're going to be equitable not if we're going to be fair we can't allow gender to play a part or gender related issues to be a part of how we interact with somebody whether we choose to interact with somebody right or wrong if we choose to become ornery or disrespectful because of things of this nature that's a problem if we do not engage with people in a fruitful manner because of some bias or some conclusion that we're drawing because of how old they are now ageism is is detrimentally impacting what's going on with us and how we how we engage in social media. If we favor or discriminate from a generational standpoint, that's an EQ red flag. Starting to make sense? Cronyism. We cannot engage with people favorably only when they are people that are part of our circle. There are other people out there that have something to say, even if they don't agree with you. There's still benefits, and these are things that we should embrace. So this is where those isms come into play with UX, EQ, and social media. We need to embrace EQ so we can make these sessions, we can make these engagements, we can make these interactions all we can be. So folks, that is all the time we have for today. We'll pick up next week looking at personal influence with regard to to UX, EQ, and social media. So until then, time to sign off. This is your host, Darren Hood. Happy UXing, everybody.
Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.